So the kind of submission and identity that Jesus calls us to looks beyond the temporal and toward the eternal, not toward the things that are seen, but toward the things that are not seen. This is All Things New with Pastor Barry E. Fields. It is good to see you in the Lord's house to be reminded that Jesus Christ himself is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I think we have a, a subject matter in mind today, a text that's not normally preached. Uh, one of the advantages of going through the Bible book by book rather than just kind of randomly picking topics from week to week is that you exposit and expound on the whole Word of God because we believe that all Scripture is profitable. One of the disadvantages of going through the Bible expositionally week by week is you have to preach every passage that's there. And sometimes the passages that are preached are a little more confusing than others. And here we come to what is seemingly a bizarre passage of Scripture, a miracle that takes place. But I think if we'll look under the surface, there is really a lesson for us to be learned. Matthew chapter 17. Let's look at verse 24 together. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax, about two days' wages, went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes. When he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, From others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea, cast a hook, take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. What an appropriate time to be contemplating this issue. Does God care about my tax returns? Some of you are saying, what tax returns? Got to pay my income tax. Who hasn't filed yet? Anybody not filed yet? Slackers. <laughs> I haven't either. <laughs> We're all in the same boat. I, I do believe in John Wesley's mantra to earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. And most of the time, it's our goal in life to try to take what we can that we think the government is not owed. And, and, and rightly so. And we know the temptations uh, of the tax collectors in the Bible and rather their reputation, but these are a different class of tax collectors. This isn't primarily an income tax. This is the temple tax. And it's primarily meant for, for the Jewish people. And it comes from Exodus chapter 30, uh, verses 11 through 16. Anybody over 20 had to give an annual half-shekel offering for the upkeep uh, of the tabernacle. One shekel is equivalent to two drachma, which is equivalent to two denarii, or one denarius is about a day's wages. So we're talking about two days' wages here, probably a, a couple hundred dollars uh, today. And when they come and ask for this temple tax, they don't go to Jesus, they go to Peter. Because Capernaum is the home base for both Peter and Jesus. And maybe they're trying to get some dirt on Jesus. We've seen that before, people trying to trip him up, we don't know. Or maybe they're trying to go to the disciple rather than to the master out of respect for him. And when they ask him the question, does your teacher not pay the tax? Peter says the obvious. He says yes. 
He knew the words of Christ, that Jesus did not come to destroy the law, he came to fulfill it. One of the misnomers of Christianity is that the law of God is bad and the grace of God is good. David says exactly the opposite when he writes the Psalms. He says, I delight in the law of the Lord. I delight in what is good because God's law is not meant for my prevention. It is meant for my protection. It is a blessing, not a curse unto us. And so Peter responds, yes, Jesus will uphold this aspect of the law. He's not trying to throw away the instruction manual here. And we know what Jesus says elsewhere in Scripture. Render unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things which are God's. So Jesus says you have to pay your taxes. But Jesus does something strange here. He, he takes Peter aside, calls him Simon. Remember, that's kind of his way of instruction when he wants to teach him something. And he asks him about taxes in general. He says, from whom do kings of the earth take their toll or their tax? From their sons or from others? Peter says, well, obviously they don't take it from their kids, they take it from others. Jesus is looking for that answer. He says, yes, then the sons are free. So the temple that they're taking taxes on, who does it belong to? See, Jesus is saying something to Peter and Code. He's saying, you know, that's my father's house, right? I'm to be about his business. It belongs to him, and therefore it belongs to me. But Jesus then gives him some really strange instructions. He says, go out into the sea, throw out a fishing line, and you'll find the money inside the fish. Peter's probably having flashbacks. He's thinking, boy, I remember what happened to Jonah. I don't know if that's a good idea. What is it with this guy in water? He walks on the water. He turns it into wine. He tells me that I'll be made living water if I'll just drink after him and if you really look at it from a surface level, it seems really strange because fishing lines weren't even used by Peter. Commercial fishermen used nets. They cast them, and yet you see the father providing for his kids. Now, those of you who owe something on your taxes, I am not advocating that you go out into the Ohio, cast a fishing line, and you'll find a coin in the bottom of a fish. You'll probably find an Asian carp come hit you in the head or a shark or a whale or whatever else is out there. Loch Ness Monster, seventh dirtiest river in the world, in the nation, the Ohio. It's our home, it's our place. That's not what he's talking about here. He says, wait a second. So as not to give offense to them. Two phrases we're going to look at. So as not to give offense to them because the sons are free. Those two. He says the sons are free. And the freedom that we have is different from the world's view of freedom, is it not? The world's view of freedom is do whatever you want. There's no consequences for what you do. Have at it. It's your life. Live it up. But the kind of freedom that Jesus offers is freedom from sin. Moving from selfishness to selflessness. And really what he's done is he's freed us up to serve others. And so I have freedom in Christ. I haven't earned it. He's been given it to me. And because I have freedom in Christ, therefore I lay down that freedom so that others might know it, so as not to cast offense. You know, the only thing offensive about us ought to be the gospel. And we forget sometimes that the gospel is, an, is offensive. You say, oh, the gospel isn't offensive. Jesus died for me. You say that as an insider, not as an outsider. 
to the outside world, telling them that there's nothing they can do to get to God on their own, that their good works will outweigh their bad, and the only thing that they can do is trust in Jesus whom God has sent. That's offensive. In fact, the world calls it foolishness. But it's the wisdom of God for us who believe. So we understand that the gospel at its core is going to offend people. But you and I shouldn't be offensive in presenting it. Some people will say, well, they just can't handle what I have to say. That's why they walk off the way they do. Maybe they can't handle you acting like a jerk while you say it. One of the biggest problems we have among believers is this attitude of entitlement. That we deserve what we have. And the scripture pulls us far away from that. If there's anybody who deserves to be entitled, is it not Jesus? The one who created all things? I wonder if there isn't something deeper at stake in this passage. You think about this desire that we have to rebel against the system, to take advantage of our freedom, to make sure that nobody takes what belongs to us, nobody violates our rights, nobody hurts our pride. And we all know rebels who like to go against the system, people who tell it like it is, people who stick it to the man. There's something about us that doesn't want to conform. But the scripture calls us to a kind of conformity that looks less like the dictionary and more like the calloused hands of a carpenter king. Can you imagine what could have gone through Jesus' mind? <laughs> taxes. I created the guy who invented taxes. Brought him into this world, and I can take him out too. Going through the legislature, I got a Congress of one. He is God the Father, and I came to do his will. I don't have to pay the temple tax and you can't make me. And yet the king of the universe sits down and fills out his W-2 form. The king who laid aside his divine image and became a man just like one of us, the carpenter who found his identity not by rebelling against the status quo, but by transcending it. So much so that later one of his best friends, John the Apostle, will write about what it'll be like to be reunited with him. And he says, Beloved, we don't know what we shall be. All we know is that we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So the kind of submission and identity that Jesus calls us to looks beyond the temporal and toward the eternal, not toward the things that are seen, but toward the things that are not seen. And in an age that despises authority, Jesus reminds us that we're under authority. We're under the authority of the king. And because of that, I don't give offense. Jesus' instruction to Peter here is really at the heart of what it means to be great, to be a servant. And it's not so much about being conformed as it is about being transformed. Uh, understand this, when I realize my freedom in Christ, that I haven't earned it, there's nothing I can do to buy it, that freely I have received, therefore I must freely give, that there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, that nothing shall separate us from the love of God, that I don't have to do anything to earn it because it's given to me by the grace of God. When I realize my freedom in Christ, I don't have to be justified. I don't have to get what I deserve. I don't have to have it my way like the Burger King commercials used to say. I don't have to be first. And get this, I don't even have to be right. 
See, you don't have to have it all when you understand that God owns it all. And brothers and sisters, if you have repented and placed your sin in Christ, you are free in him. And because of my freedom in Christ, I don't owe anything to anybody, but because of God's love, I give it all away. By the way, it's not really yours if you can't give it away. The sons are free, but not to cast offense. I think about this sometimes. You know, when you're in a position of, of leadership or when you're in a position anywhere sometimes, criticism is just going to come your way. I know you've experienced that. And sometimes when people come to me with things that they disagree with about how I'm doing and they'll come at a personal characteristic or something like that, I, I almost look at them and I think to myself, is that all you've got? Because I'm a lot worse than that. Man, you should see me behind the scenes sometimes. I know that without God, I am a great sinner. But I know something even better than that, that Christ is a great Savior and He has set me free. And so because of this freedom that I have in Christ, I don't want to be a stumbling block. I don't want to cast a, a rock of offense. This is what Paul will say later on. He'll say, I will be willing to go to a Jewish audience to tell them about Jesus, who they don't even believe is the Savior. I'll be beaten by these whips, and then I'll share Jesus with them because of it. Basically, he says, I'll be all things to all people, and I might by all means save some. He says, I'll do whatever it takes if it means I might keep people from going to hell. He says, I'm willing to give it all up. I'm all in. Because the mission is more important than the methods. Martin Luther said this well, a Christian is the most free Lord of all and subject to none. A Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. So if the sons are free from the tax, what they are not free from is love. Even love of one's enemies. See, the reason you don't have to pay the temple tax is because Jesus paid it all. But the reason you should pay the temple tax is because Jesus loves others. And sometimes, frankly, you have to make a conscious choice of do I want to win the argument or do I want to win their heart? Because if you can win the argument but lose the heart, you've really lost, are you, have you not? But if you can be willing to lose the argument and win their heart, perhaps you've gained an audience for the kingdom. That's not an easy thing to do. Real easy to think, I always have to win, I always have to be right, I always have to have my way. I mean, Jesus could have out-debated any of us in this room to talk about reason number one, two, and three, why he did not have to pay the temple tax, but he doesn't do that. He says, pay it. Because I want to have an audience with these people, and I want to tell them the real reason why I came. This is what 1 Peter 2 tells us, the same thing, beginning in verse 13. It says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it's to the emperor, we might say governor, president, as supreme, 
For to governors is sent by him to punish those who do evil, to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who justice judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. You know, sacrifice for the good of the team is a slogan that shows up almost everywhere except in church. But the founder of the church is the one who came up with it. Submitting yourselves, even when you're right, even when they're unjust, why? So that you might have an opportunity by your good witness to share Jesus with them. Listen, this will help your marriage. This will help your family relations. This will help your job. If you'll just understand that I am free in Christ, and therefore I lay it down so that I might help others, so as not to cast offense. So the next time you feel justified lashing out against the waiter or the waitress because they didn't get your order right, because somebody's done something wrong with your work hours, somebody's taking credit for something that you deserve credit for at school, maybe you ought to remember this passage of Scripture, and maybe you ought to consider Jesus Christ who gave everything and owned everything and gave it all up so that others might have life. The reason you give it all up for others is because Jesus gave it all up for you. I can remember this lesson my dad taught me really well, inadvertently, when I was about 15 years old. I had won this huge teddy bear. I mean, this thing was humongous. It was one of those three feet tall, about two feet wide teddy bears. I was just fooling around with it, had it there in my room, throwing things at it, you know, talking to it during downtime and things like that. And my, don't tell me you don't do this sometimes. Maybe you don't. I'm weird. And my, uh, and my dad decided that we were going to make a visit to an elderly lady in the church and I noticed that the bear was in the back seat when we got there. I said, what's that bear for? He said, you're going to give it to this lady. I said, I just won this bear. I don't want to give it to her. And he walks up and he says to this lady, Miss so-and-so, Barry wants to give you this bear, show you how much we love you. And just the, the, the tears start flowing down her face. She's so thankful. And I'm so mad. Like, you know, you just gave up. This is, this is my, my bear. And, and this lady later asked me to, to do her funeral. I just did it a, a couple of years ago, and her sister came up to me, and she said, she said, you have no idea how much that meant for you to give up that, that, that bear to, uh, to my sister. And I thought to myself, you have no idea how much I didn't want to give it up and still resent it to this day. Didn't tell her that part. But I am always fascinated by people who have everything 
and give it all up. People who conquer the world and then give the world away. And I looked for an example about what this would be like, and I really just think there's no greater example than what the writer of Hebrews gives us in chapter 11. The kind of people who had it all and gave it all, the kind of people who knew their freedom in Christ and gave it up. And in Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 33, this is the roll call of the hall of fame of faith in believers' lives. He says, Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goat, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should be made perfect. He's talking about Abraham and Elijah, David, and Paul, and everybody else, and he says, wait a second, your name's not listed there in the book, but they're waiting on you. They're the cloud of witnesses that he talks about in chapter 12, that you and I are the perfection, are the completion of that faith until Jesus returns. And so they're calling you to live out the same type of life, to give it all up. Some of us will stop the mouths of lions, and some of us will be like me, we'll run from lions. Some of us will achieve great success, and some of us will be tortured. Some of us may die because of what we believe. But he says it'll be worth it if you understand that you are free in Christ. You owe this world nothing. And so you give this world everything because of the one who gave himself for you. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at barryefields.com.